This is a Rooster Teeth production. What terrors lie 6,000 fathoms deep? Find out on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover topics, people, places, histories, ideas, and more of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Some 20-odd years ago, a crew of deep-sea researchers from the University of Washington were working on the Endeavor hydrothermal vent site near British Columbia's Vancouver Island and decided to put a strange marker in the seabed around 20,000 meters deep. Yeah, kind of weird. It was a plywood mannequin that they named Dudley, who if you go look at old pictures online, Dudley looked originally like a shoddy mock-up of just an average guy with an enthusiasm for deep sea exploration. Love it. That being said, if you look at more recent images of him, you might think you're looking at something taken straight from a horror film. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Go Google Dudley Mannequin Bottom of the Ocean and look at the pictures because it is nightmarish. (laughs) What the hell happened to Dudley down there, Jess? The unthinkable, Elise. Dudley was dutifully doing his job as a marker until he became dislodged from his spot and blasted by 300 degrees Celsius fluid from the hydrothermal vents. Oh, he died doing what he loved. Yeah, at least there's that. <laughs> yeah. And if you see the pictures of the before and after of Dudley, well, he now looks like some kind of terrifying zombie creature with like a distorted face and ghoulish appearance. He's basically the very last thing you would want to come across in the dark abyss. Yeah, I just don't want to come across him at all. No. Um, but I can only imagine it was very traumatizing experience for the crew that later stumbled across him. Truly haunting because me personally, I find that coming across a normal looking mannequin at the bottom of the ocean would be scary, but seeing one that looks like Dudley would, yeah, make me um, not have a good time. Mm -mm, mm -mm. However, even though he's creepy, Dudley is by far from the creepiest thing you will find at the oceanic depths. And that is the subject of this episode. Can anyone guess what we're covering? Well... We're covering the Mariana Trench, but also known as Marianas Trench, the deepest known trench of the ocean and home to the two lowest points on Earth. Oh, man, I thought we were doing Jaws. Yeah, close. close. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> ocean trenches are steep depressions in the ocean's crests that develop when slabs of tectonic plates collide, causing upheaval. One piece of oceanic crust is pushed beneath the other, and this happens in areas called subduction zones. And just so you know, anytime we mention crust uh, in this episode, I, I just think of like pie crust. So that's how I like envision oh. things. I I'm don't glad know why. that's the crust you think about. <laughs> I don't know why. Because my brain went somewhere else. We're, oh, no. Come ah. on, Jess. It's a family podcast. <laughs> Is it? Okay. <laughs> it's not. Oh, God. Please, please, I hope your family's not listening to this podcast, people. <laughs> oh, man. Uh. So yeah, pie crust. Anyway. In the case of the Mariana Trench, the Pacific Crust is bent below the Philippine Crust. The Pacific Crust is about 180 million years old, where it dives into the trench. It's tough for our puny little brains to grasp the magnitude of all of this, but yes, these are forces much larger than any of us. 
And that is part of what makes the Mariana Trench so scary. It's hard to fathom its reach and depth, and we still know very little about what's down there. It's kind of like if you think about the reaches of outer space and how few people have actually ventured to it, that's the Mariana's Trench in the ocean. Yeah, I don't know if it was me and you talking about this or this is with me and my partner. or I don't know, would you, or maybe we talked about this on the last podcast about would you would rather go to space or mm-hmm. to... Uh, the Marion yeah. Trench. We, it was on the podcast. Oh, yeah. it was. Okay. Well, I just forgot. And I don't remember what I picked. But anyway. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It is tough. <laughs> but it's one of the most unexplored locations on Earth. The oceans cover about 70% of the Earth's surface. And yet humanity has explored only around like 5 to 10% of the ocean floor. Yeah, we're gradually uncovering more information about the trench's secrets and its species and what it looks like down there. It's a harsh and unforgiving place that invokes a sense of awe and terror. Oh, absolutely, Tara. If 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 you've ever been swimming in the ocean and you hit a patch of dark water where you, you know, can't see anything below or around you, it's pitch black. Well, take that feeling and multiply it by like a million. <laughs> Uh-huh. I never thought about what the trench must look like from space. <laughs> However, if you look at the trench via satellite imagery, it looks like a giant black hole in the ocean. It spans about 1,500 square miles, which, side note, the ocean-like space has black holes in it. They're called eddies, and they're these maelstroms that can could tear you apart from the sheer force of them. And that is a topic for another podcast because oh that God. was something I really wasn't familiar with before this, but now it's all too burned into my brain. <sighs> For now, though, back to the trench. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah, that's terrifying. The Mariana Trench is a crescent shape and found in the Western Pacific near Guam. Its depth has been recorded at various measurements, but is generally estimated to go about 36,000 feet at its deepest, which is almost like seven miles. Yeah, which to me, it doesn't seem like that's very deep. Mm-mm. You know? <laughs> no, seven miles. You're like, oh, that's like to the grocery store. Kind yeah. Of, maybe. Yeah. But. I imagine when you're down there, it feels a lot deeper and you have to decompress on certain levels Mm -hmm. and take hours to get to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Different ship-based mapping and pressure sensor techniques are used to clock measurements of the trench. And they also use sound pulses in the way that sonar is used to map the ocean floor. Mm -hmm. And they use seismometers and hydrophones, which are these microphones used to listen to underwater sounds Mm. and, and detect distance and space. Love it. The deepest part of the Mariana Trench is called Challenger Deep. It's named after the Challenger Expedition of 1875, the first of its kind that attempted to record the trench's depths. I didn't even know, like 1875, I'm like, how did you even have the, the anything to to go that deep at that time? I have no idea. I mean, they used a rope, but it's like, how did you... How are you doing this? Uh, yeah, it seems so hard to fathom this, but the Challenger was this, this ship that it traveled all around the world exploring and surveying oceanic phenomena. And the ship and its crew were interested in learning more about deep sea life, the physical conditions of the sea, temperature, gravity, and light at the bottom of the ocean. They studied the chemical composition of water, organic matter, and other substances. Wow. The HMS Challenger crew used a weighted rope to try and get their measurement of the trench's depths again in 1875, and they came up with the depth of around 4,475 fathoms or around five miles. And they were close. Yeah. 
it really wasn't like with with just a rope, they were close. <laughs> just bonkers to think about. It really is. It really wasn't until the 1950s that a f- second follow-up mission, the Challenger 2, was able to procure clearer measurements and it clocked the deepest part of the trench, which was dubbed the Challenger Deep and is now regarded as the deepest known point on Earth. The first time humans descended into the Challenger Deep was 1960, when Navy Lieutenant Don Walsh and Jacques Picard made the journey. And now while they've both been to the farthest of reaches, Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise was not named after Jacques Picard. (laughs) So come on, people. Grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Walsh and Picard spent five hours inside a Navy submarine called the Treste, and when they got to the bottom, couldn't take any pictures because of all the debris their subs stirred up. Oh, and they were also probably trying to avoid getting blasted by any of the hydrothermal vents, which would melt flesh right off uh, Im- during like immediate contact. Uh, which is something that we don't go super in depth about in this episode, but the hydrothermal vents that lie in the ocean, like they're just terrifying. They're these hot, hot furnace, uh, you know, blasters. Just straight just straight into like the core, right? Core's yeah, earth. Like, yeah, just... and, and they just blast out that that immense heat that you couldn't even imagine. Nope. Pass. <laughs> yeah, and you also have to remember it's pitch black down there. There's barely any light underwater once you go beyond the 200 meter mark. But when Picard and Walsh were down there, they did discover that life existed at the greatest depths of the ocean, even at extreme pressures. Yeah, which is a very big deal because that's something else extremely terrifying to think about when it comes to the trench. Yeah, the atmospheric pressure in your average home or office is about 14.7 pounds per square inch. It's more than 16,000 pounds per square inch at the bottom of the trench, and that's about eight tons per square inch. Which is horrific. So when you think about how a human can only withstand around like 44 to 48 pounds per square inch of pressure, which is why there's no way to even get close to the bottom of the trench without being inside proper equipment. And if that equipment malfunctioned, the consequences would absolutely be gruesome. Mm-hmm. I have to say, Jess, I think that you and I are good at withstanding a lot more pressure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the oh, 58 for sure. pounds. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Such is the life of a modern woman. Absolutely. But yeah, if this happened, your equipment malfunctioned and someone was at the bottom of the trench outside a protective vehicle, they would be very dead very quickly in a very awful way. The immense pressure would knock them out and kill them immediately, pushing in on their body, causing any air-filled space or crevice to collapse. Their bones would crush in. Yeah, and if any air could get in, the person would undergo what is called uh, nitrogen narcosis, um, also known as depth intoxication. Yeah, it's the anesthetic effects of increased nitrogen levels, and it makes you feel like you're drunk or in a daze. And it it would be a non-issue at this point, because if you get down there, you would not survive it Mm -hmm. anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it it is something that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. And and same deal for hypothermia. It's ungodly cold at these depths, which is interesting because like, also these vents are like hot as hell. Yeah. So it's like... What's going on down there in general? A song of ice and fire, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) No matter what, you get that deep without being inside a submersible vehicle and you are done for. You're dead. Makes you wonder who or what kind of person would dare take the risk, Elise. Yeah. And we mentioned that not a lot of people have been down there. And in fact, only 27 people have descended into Challenger Deep. And when you compare that to over, you know, 570 people who have been to outer space as of 2021, those numbers are quite 
disparate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some notable people that have been down there are astronaut Catherine D. Sullivan and mountaineer Vanessa O'Brien. They were the first two women to visit Challenger Deep in 2020, which also seems like way too late for women to be doing this for the first time. Yeah, but. that was my that was my first thought also. But how cool to go to space and then also go to the deepest yeah. depths of the earth. Ah, that's amazing. Don Wright was the first black person to do the dive. It was monumental for Wright, who has the nickname Deep Sea Don, who knew that she wanted to be an oceanographer since the age of eight. Her task was to bring back the first high resolution mapping of Challenger Deep. And she did that in 2022. So like super recent. Mm -hmm. Um, The record for most dives to Challenger Deep belongs to Dallas businessman and former naval commander Victor Vescovo. And this guy has a resume. Okay, he summited the highest peak on all seven of the world's continents and skied at least 100 kilometers to both the North and South Poles. It's these type of people that I just want to have conversations with and be like, what is your opinion on God? I don't know yeah. when people like, how are you real? Exactly. Like when people are going to space and then the, the, the depths of earth climbing these mountains, I'm like, you have seen and experienced things that like average people just don't. And I just want to know your opinion on life and, and yeah. beyond. And, <laughs> and I know that th- obviously that comes from a place of having a lot of money and having the ability to do that, but also you need to have the motivation and the inspiration. Mm-hmm. And where do you get that from? Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because I can't even summon the motivation to go into the from the living room to the kitchen <laughs> sometimes. You know, I yeah, I mean, same here. It gets bad. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, in August of 2019, Vescovo became the first person in history to have been to the top of all of the world's continents to reach both poles and to descend to the bottom of all of its oceans. He's made a total of 12 dives into different spots of the trench. And if you recall from our Morbid Nature of Time episode, we talked about how Jeff Bezos finances his sci-fi passion projects like the Millennium Clock and Blue Origin. Mm -hmm. Vescovo is similarly inclined, spending his immense wealth from a career in finance to fund the design and construction of Limiting Factor. It's it's the first two-person submersive ever built to make repeat trips to the ocean trench. And we're going to talk more in depth, pun intended, about Limiting Factor, this really, really cool ship, after a word from our sponsors. One of the things I love most about doing this podcast is learning new things, and that's why I'm so excited we are sponsored by Masterclass. Masterclass offers masterclasses on a wide variety of topics, all taught by world-class instructors at the top of their fields. Masterclasses are broken out into individual video lessons that are usually around 10 minutes long, so you can explore at your own pace. I did the Steve Martin Comedy Masterclass because comedy is a passion of mine, and Steve is amazing, and it was such a fun, enlightening experience. Masterclass has hundreds of video lessons from over 150 of today's most brilliant minds, and they're available anytime, anywhere on so many devices. You can learn creative writing from Margaret Atwood, improve your cooking skills thanks to Gordon Ramsay, or learn film from David Lynch. With Masterclass, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. So check it out. As a 30 Morbid Minutes listener, you get 15% off an annual membership that gets unlimited access to every class. Go to masterclass.com slash 30mm now. That's masterclass.com slash 30mm for 15% off Masterclass. 
Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sometimes you can get stuck focusing on problems instead of solutions. Like you want that promotion at work, but you're not quite sure how to ask for it. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver and find those solutions, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. And that's what BetterHelp is here to do. And if you're inspired to try therapy, you'll find that it helps improve all aspects of your life. It gives you someone to talk to, to open up to, to give you a different perspective. And sometimes it's just nice to be able to talk to someone who is impartial and not be unloading on your family and friends. And that's what BetterHelp offers. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com 30mm today to get 15% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com 30mm. Back to the show, we are talking about limiting factor, which was uh, the ship built by Victor Vescovo and his company that can go into the trench. And limiting factor costs $37 million to make. Its depth capacity is more than 100 times that of the typical submersible. It's designed for optimal comfort, utility, and ergonomics, but built to withstand lengthy expeditions in remote areas because somebody's got to be in there for hours and hours and hours. So it, it needs to kind of be accommodating and comfortable too. It can run for 16 plus hours, but probably shouldn't. Yeah. No. In my un- yeah. uneducated opinion. Yes, not the same thing. It's like, mm, probably not though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it does have 96 hours of emergency life support, four wide angle situational awareness cameras, and then four high definition mission recording cameras. Yeah. Cause I guess if you're going to go down there, you want to capture it. Yeah. And also if you're going to like go or die, at least they have it on camera. Something's yeah. on camera. Yeah, make a talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) And for $750,000, Vescovo will take you with him inside Limiting Factor down the 35,000 feet into the trench. Interesting. Okay. I might think about that. I don't, you know, I just have a random 75, you know, 100. Oh, yeah. If you've got the cash, Jess. (laughs) Let me just get on that. But. Elise, there's another person whose obsession with the trench has led them to some pretty extreme dives, right? Yes, Jess. This is a man so enamored by the sea that at age 16, he begged his father to enroll him in a scuba class. Oh, and he's also made some massively successful blockbuster movies like The Abyss and Titanic. It's film director James Cameron. Mm. James Cameron loves the ocean so much, and he relies on a lot of practical effects to simulate the terrifying might of his watery mistress. Now, this is a little unorthodox, but it had to be done. Here with a brief interlude about the 1989 James Cameron film The Abyss is my husband, James Willems. Thanks, Elise and Jessica. If we're discussing dark and scary underwater trenches, you'd be remiss not to mention The Abyss. James Cameron's 1989 film about the dangerous uncertainty of the uncharted depths of our oceans covers almost everything creepy you could hope to come across two miles below sea level. I'm talking water aliens hidden away in submerged cities, Michael Bean going crazy from high-pressure nervous syndrome, a woman drowning and freezing herself at the same time, 
Michael Bean sinking deeper and deeper in a submarine until it and he implode, a rat being drowned in oxygen-rich liquid to see if it can breathe water, and this literally happened, and they filmed it, and that's what's in the movie, and the rat survived? The only thing it doesn't have is the threat of global nuclear destruction. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Oh, wait. No, it does have that. So, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and haven't seen The Abyss, check it out for further briny deep trauma. Back to you, Elise and Jessica. Thank you, James, for those stirring facts and information about The Abyss. Maybe we'll do a 30 Morbid Minutes movie night of The Abyss sometime. I think that would be fun. Anyway, Jess, how has James Cameron's obsession manifested into his work? Or Jim Cameron's, as he... You know, is known to his friends. Yes, yes. Well, he decided to make his films a reality. Cameron has done a total of 33 dives to the wreck of the Titanic, and a lot of that footage was actually used in the film. Um, but in 2012, James Cameron set his sights even grander, this time on the Mariana Trench. This was a man obsessed. He said, I have to get down there. He did it in secret, too. I don't think the general public knew about Mm -hmm. it until he did it. But he piloted the 24-foot vertical submersible Deep Sea Challenger 35,000 feet into the trench, making him the first person to do a solo descent. And he did the first manned mission since 1960. It had only been, I guess, you know, robotic craft going down there. In that time. Mm -hmm. And in speaking with National Geographic, he described the bottom of the trench as very lunar. During the four hours Cameron spent exploring the ocean floor, his sonar completely died. His compass glitched and he lost three starboard thrusters. Oh my gosh. I know. Imagine all that happening and then you still stay down there. If one of those things happened to me, I'd be like, peace. Yeah. Bring me back up. I would accept death immediately. Mm hmm. James Cameron also told the BBC, my reference frame was going to the Titanic 10 or 12 years ago and thinking that was the deepest place I could ever imagine. On this dive, I blazed past Titanic depth at 12,000 feet and was only a third of the way down. Uh, Yeah. For me, when I was a kid, I thought, oh man, the Titanic is at the very bottom of the ocean. And now to think that, oh, how naive that was. The ocean is a much deeper and scarier place. Absolutely. And James Cameron, his little mission down here, like South Park spoofed it. They did the ballad of James Cameron because <laughs> it was kind of a, I remember when the news came out and everyone was sort of not shocked, but we were all kind of blown away because I think people knew that with Titanic, those were the lengths he went to. But people didn't really realize, oh, yeah, this guy's got a thing. Yeah. The ocean. Yeah. It was it mm-hmm. was like there was part of me where I was like, this is awesome. Okay, you're doing a lot of great research for your film. That's that's amazing. Yeah. And then also like, oh, so this guy has a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> that was my <laughs> other too. Oh, well, yeah, from Titanic and yeah, <laughs> Aliens, Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. Um, you can watch the movie that came of it, Deep Sea Challenge 3D, about his journey. And that's the thing. He didn't just do this seemingly impossible dive. He also underwent the Herculean task of making sure he had functioning camera equipment so he could film it all. Just you and I know how hard it is just to get cameras to work above 
water. I know. I know. And honestly, it's like good on James Cameron to like kind of initiate all of this because, you know, hey, we got to see. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is kind of great. I feel like there are, I've saw interviews and stuff with scientists who said, yeah, a lot of the stuff he was able to get samples and things we probably wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Yes. Yeah. So cool. And, you know, you might be wondering what's been discovered at the bottom of this trench, given how immense the pressure is. It's truly hard to fathom that any life could survive down there. Uh, but there is life. And I, that gives me the, the chills as I even say that. Uh, it looks somewhat different from what we know here um, on land. <laughs> yeah. And I always think of blob fishes, which yes. are those fishes that they look kind of scary underwater at their depths uh, and the pressure that they can reside in. But then you bring them above water and they are these goobers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> they blow up. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, the life in the trench, it has this sort of alien appearance to a lot of these fish like it looks like this is what fish would look like on an alien planet yes and but surprisingly diverse life forms living in the trench they need to be able to survive in darkness and pressure and extremely harsh conditions and if we take them out of it they can't live yeah because that's where same as us like we can't live at the bottom of the ocean we were meant to live here on land and that's just that's their environment and you know most ocean life resides above 600 feet yeah, their three most common organisms at the bottom of the trench are xenophyophores, amphipods, and small sea cucumbers, otherwise known as holothurians. There are also these microbial mats, which are just clumps of microbes that like live on the floor. And there are these organisms that feed off of gases and chemicals like methane and sulfur because you really can't find much or any or- organic food at the bottom of the trench. That being said, the trench does contain fish, at least in shallower areas, who resemble like um, the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> yeah, they're giving Dudley a run for his money <laughs> down there in the trench. And again, they look just so kind of alien to what we know. Take the anglerfish. This is probably the, the one that you've seen maybe online. It's a very popular one thanks to Finding Nemo. It's got this light, this bioluminescent lure that dangles from the front of its head, mm-hmm. almost like a fishing rod. I always feel like it's trying to attract its prey. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty warped looking and it has really, really sharp teeth. And anglerfish, they can like drop their jaw and then swallow creatures that are much larger than their actual size. Though I always wonder about that because then it's like, is it like a cartoon snake that swallows someone and then you see the outline of the person in the snake? I know. Again, very horrific. Just, just. (laughs) That's how my dumb brain thinks. Deeply disturbing. The Dumbo octopus is named after the adorable elephant of the same name from the Disney animated film. However, what might look like ears are actually fins. And unlike the Disney Dumbo, it's pretty weird looking. The Dumbo octopus attacks and ingests prey whole, then digests it internally. Oh, just some fun ways of eating. Its body is so gelatinous, though, that it actually needs the extreme pressures to keep it held together like the blobfish. And if you brought it to the surface, I mean, it would die, but it would also kind of like balloon out and get distorted. (sighs) Zombie worms eat the bones of deceased whales by secreting acid to digest proteins and lipids. Okay, we're not even going to give any more time to that one. Okay. Love it. Yeah. The frilled shark is considered a living fossil because its primitive appearance hasn't really changed over millions of years. And it looks more like an eel than a shark. And one of these bad boys has 300 needle-like teeth, which they use to lunge at their prey. Oh, man. 
Ugh, love it, hate it. At the same time, the telescope octopus is almost transparent, except for its terrifying rotating tubular eyes. Can you this imagine? Actually, yeah, this one might be the most unsettling to me because of its transparency, but then yes. it has like this solid. Uh, there are a couple other ones like that that are translucent like that. I hate those. Then there's the ping pong tree sponge, which it looks like if you took something that was under a microscope and then blew it up, it's got these orbs on stems connected to its central tube body. And uh, it like traps small crustaceans on the surface of these little orbs or balls. And then it just slowly absorbs and eats them alive. The goblin shark, yes, is one of the scariest. It's about 10 feet long with a protruding jaw and lots of sharp teeth. Yeah, and it hunts by sight, smell, and electro detection. And then it like catches its prey by surprise. I feel like these creatures are just the, like, yeah, the horror. I mean, we've definitely on land have some, you know, pretty horrific yeah. creatures, but oh man, these re they really are from like horror films, like stuff that yes. you would see in horror films or your own nightmares. <laughs> yeah, and I guess they have to exist in these harsh conditions. So mm -hmm. it makes sense they'd be warped to function in really unsettling ways. I guess it's all contextual, too, because if we were around them all the time and it was just normalized to be near them, we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's that creature. I bet if somebody saw, you know, an alien came to our planet and saw creatures on, la on land here, they'd be freaked out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> and because, you know, these are the fun stuff of nightmares. Um, there's a lot of other creatures and fish with interesting names. Um, the Some some are the fang-tooth fish, the goblin shark, comb jellies, vampire squid, the hatchet fish, the football fish, and the dragon fish. I don't know that I could be scared by a fish called the football fish, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being honest. I just want to throw it around, you know? Yeah, punt him. Yeah. And if you're wondering if a megalodon is still alive, slumbering deep in the trench, the answer is no. Science tells us that they have been long extinct and probably wouldn't even live at the bottom of the trench if they were alive. Yeah, despite there's there's easily enough deep sea terror fueled to, you know, horror to keep us awake at night. And that's thanks to rich dudes with passion projects like Vescovo and Bezos and dedicated oceanographers and scientists who uh, teach us more and more about the, the trench. And if money wasn't an object, Jess, would you go down to its depths? That 750000 price tag with Vescovo? I think, yeah, I think I would. I, I, I you know, you know, he's done it a few times. They, they got this really awesome, that they sold me on all of their, you know, tech and whatnot. But also there's that, there's that other side where I'm just like, if I'm going to die and it's at the bottom of the ocean exploring this earth and wh whatever life this is that I was granted, cool. You know, sure. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know that I want to be in a submarine with someone I don't know for that long. That to me is scarier, the social anxiety aspect than going into the trench. I, I get that 100%. I do. Something that I that I, we forgot to mention in the episode, but um, if you put Mount Everest at the bottom of Mariana's Trench, it would it would still not hit sea level. It would still be below the top of the ocean. Oh my God. So to speak, that's how deep it is. Um, which, cause I, we did our episode on Everest mm -hmm. and how, you know, unfathomable it is that people climb that multiple times. So yeah, put that in perspective. Yeah. That's, oh God, that's insane. Well, hope you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> you should go, you should 
Google all of these different creatures that we oh, mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> and just take yes. a look at them. Just take a gander and let us know if you have any nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> let us know about your nightmares anyway, unrelated to the Mariana Trench. Tweet at us at 30 Morbid Minutes, at Jessica Vasami, at Elise Willems, and find us on all social medias, Instagram, TikTok, by that handle. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just think the trench is so fascinating and people should go do some of their own research about it. It's really cool. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, of course, new merch in the store, the Spirit Board t-shirt. Please take a gander at that. We'd love for you to send us pics in it as well. And it's cute and kind of romantic if like you're a goth. Yes. And you give you gift it to someone. Very cute. Because you'll have to you'll have to go look for it yourself at store.roosterteeth.com, but it has a little bit of a hauntingly romantic message on it. It does. Let's say. It does. Yeah. And Elise, I can't believe it, but that is it for season three. I know. Uh, we don't know when we'll be back with our next season, but soon. Soon. Yes, soon. Very we'll, soon. We'll, yeah. We'll let you know as soon as we know. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, Go back and listen to our old episodes because they never go bad. They never go bad. Yeah, they're evergreen, standalone episodes. Some of some of our favorites are near-death experiences. Oh, Bit Bandits and Grave Robbers. That was a good one. Death at Disney Parks. I learned a lot on that one. Mm-hmm. Cloning. Yes. Jurassic Park. A lot of Jurassic Park yes. references. Yes. Being buried alive. We give you we give you tips and tricks on if you accidentally <laughs> get buried alive. <laughs> How do you avoid it? We went inside the Paris catacombs. Yes. Hidden mm-hmm. killers of the Victorian era. This was that was a good one. We learned a lot. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I started doing my makeup completely different. <laughs> <after that one. laughs> CTE and the risks of high contact sports. The morbid nature of time and God, so much more. So uh-huh. just just go through them. We'd, we'd love to hear, you know, we'd love to hear feedback on all of them. And also big shout out to our editor, Kelly Reynolds. Kelly! Kelly is amazing and is the person that makes us sound much better and actually makes these easier to listen to. Yes. She cuts out all of my, you know, I can't pronounce words. <laughs> um, yeah, same, <laughs> same, and all of my pauses and stumbles and everything. So thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. And uh, yeah, that's it for the season. I guess any any other big final thoughts, Jess? You we were talking recently, and you said that you felt like this podcast has made you feel more comfortable and interested in exploring certain things that you wouldn't have before. Yes, and, and that that really made me so happy. Yes, it actually it actually really has. And also just kind of talking through a lot of this stuff with you because we're opposites in the way that like I can get kind of wrapped up in a lot of this stuff and you're more of a skeptic. And there was some something you told me one time you were just like just don't just make it's a choice. Just like don't believe in it. <laughs> just like don't. I was like, "Oh yeah." And then also just kind of like all the research and all of the better understanding of things and all the different sides to to situations cuz every there's nothing that's black and white, you know? And oh, yeah. just kind of learning all of that has has helped me. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And I also think that reading, learning, all this stuff helps you grow as an empathetic person. Yes. And so I also hope that that's something that's a takeaway from this podcast for people because you get different perspectives or maybe you see how different humanity has been for people in other places or times. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. It's been and, great. Uh, it's been great. And I'm excited for us to do more. And in the meantime, please go back and listen to everything yeah. that we've done because we're really proud of it. 
And uh, I, I know we shouldn't leave on a bad bye, Jess. <laughs> really? I, we shouldn't leave on a bad bye, right? I mean, I don't know. It's up to, well, I don't know. Hit him with the bad bye then. All right. Bad bye, everyone. Bad bye, bad, you sickos. Bad bye, you sick freaks. I can't believe all of you listen to this stuff. Like I mean, I believe it of Jessica, but I don't believe it of all of you. Oh, God. Sickos. Oh.